Welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast with Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm Dr. Patricia. This podcast is for people who want to transform their health, restore their hormones, and reconnect to their body's natural wisdom. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia. I'm a Canadian medical doctor, published author, internationally recognized researcher, and passionate advocate for your health. Here, we'll explore the intersection between ancient wisdom and cutting-edge science, distilling the essence of true health into practical steps you can take. Wild wisdom is instinctive knowledge in action. Thanks for making this part of your day. Hello, and welcome to the Wild Wisdom Podcast. This segment has been taken from Thrive Thursdays with Dr. Patricia Mills. I hope you enjoy this episode, and here is Dr. Patricia Mills. Hello, menopause and hormone replacement therapy. This is a loaded, super controversial topic, and I'm here to break it down as best as I know how, having dug into the research-backed science. Hi, I'm Dr. Patricia Mills. I'm a holistic medical doctor, women's health expert, functional medicine practitioner, and I think it's important to know that I am a published researcher, internationally recognized in my previous field of research, And I use my research skills to go deep into this topic that you're joining me for today live in my Thrive Thursday uh, episode. I'm going live within my Wild Wisdom for Women Facebook group. If you're not part of that group and you want to participate in these shows live, please join. It's free. It's wonderful. I love that community. And if you're joining me live today, please put in your name, uh, where you're calling in from, And let me know if you have any questions as we go through this topic. I know this is a very hot topic, and I'm super excited to dive into it. Now, the title of this topic is, Would I, Dr. Patricia, knowing what I know now about hormone replacement therapy, having just reviewed the research, would I use hormone replacement therapy for menopause, as in going into menopause after after the transition of perimenopause and for uh, menopause-related symptoms like hot flashes, mood swings, all of those things, sexual dysfunctions, problems with sleep. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that women experience and, uh, and in some degree suffer from in menopause. And often the question is, should we be using hormone replacement therapy to improve that experience? And I actually have an answer for you of sorts, which I will be covering today. We're also going to be covering other questions like, is it safe and effective? Is hormone replacement therapy safe and effective for menopause? Why is this such a controversial topic these days? What what contributed to the controversy? What is the current mainstream opinion of doctors uh, on hormone replacement therapy? And what is uh, uh, you know a recent study, I'm going to be discussing a recent study that was published in 2019, which is fairly recent in the realm of medicine, often it can take up to 20 years for research results to be applied into practice. That gap is shortening, thankfully. Um, And I did want to shed uh, light upon this particular study because it really informed a lot of what, um, um, it really brought clarity to a lot of questions I had looking at um, studies on hormone replacement therapy up until now. All right, let's dive right in. Okay, so what happened was um, the question of safety and efficacy uh, and effectiveness of hormone replacement therapy was really studied. um, One of the first very big, big putting it on the map studies was by the Women's Health Initiative. And they studied like thousands of women 
And um, they took a number of women who were post-menopause and they gave them uh, estrogen. And in one group, they gave them progesterone. I'll go into the two groups, okay? And what they found was that the study was terminated in 2002 because they were seeing an increased risk of really bad outcomes like invasive uh, breast cancer, for example, and cardiovascular issues like blood clots, heart attacks, strokes, uh, those kinds of things. Okay. And uh, that um, threw a lot of people into confusion because there was an expectation that it would be helpful. Um, and that maybe there would be some side effects, um, but that the benefits would outweigh the risks. And unfortunately, that did not end up being the case. And what's interesting is that now with like the perspective of time, being able to look back on that study and, and be like hypercritical of certain things that was done in the study and why it may have led to a bad outcome, now uh, there was some greater um, understanding as to why those risks popped up. Now, the thing you have to understand is I've designed research studies. It is super challenging to design a research study. And it is very natural that, um, you know, a really, really big research study will everyone will do their absolute best to make it perfect. And then after the fact, there'll be people looking back and say, well, you should have done this differently and you should have done that differently. So we're not going to look at this study and its methods with any hint of criticism because, I mean, it's a huge thing to take on to do a study like this. And so thank you to these people for doing the study. Thank you for creating the first step. And then it's like we have to, instead of making it into an obstacle, we make it into a stepping stone into new opportunities. So basically what happened with this study was that a few things that um, could have been done differently that would have improved the outcomes. First of all, they took, got these women who were aged between 50 to 79 years. And these women were quite a few years post-menopause. Like quite a few of these women were even five years post-menopause. So what happens is that menopause, by definition, World Health Organization, menopause happened is you're, you know, you're in menopause. Natural menopause, by definition, is that you've stopped bleeding, ha having your menstruation for one year. Now, some women are like, well, I've, I've had a, a, a rectum, I have my ovaries removed, my, hist my um, a uterus removed, am I in menopause? And I say, well, that's not the definition of natural menopause. However, if you're not menstruating, you may have similar hormonal levels to women in menopause. Okay, so what we're talking about here is the natural course of events that happens in a woman's life when they go into they stop, they stop their fertile years and they go into their, what you could say, manifestation years. Um, and now you have your, you're in your menopause, okay? And you haven't had, you haven't bled for one, for one year. So they took women who had been like, you know, more than five years after menopause and they took older women and they took women who had um, a lot of, they, had, they took a lot of women who had a previous problem with their health. They had previous evidence of problems with their heart and their blood vessels, what we would call cardiovascular disease. So for example, high cholesterol, hypertension, um, heart, uh, like heart attack, stroke, that kind of thing, okay? So they, they um, had this very diverse kind of wide range of women spanning deep into menopause. So that's, that's one thing that people looking back said, well, maybe we should have chosen slightly different group of women to study. 
The other thing that they did is that they used um, estrogen. The estrogen that they used was a conjugated mare's uh, estrogen, which basically means they took the estrogen from mare uh, horse's urine. The female horse is the mare, and they took that estrogen from the horse, and they gave it at a dose, I believe it was 0.625 milligrams per day, okay, which is low, but not the lowest dose that you can give for estrogen. Okay, as as they were as people found out in the future, and so if they could have given a lower dose, and they 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 divided the groups of women into two groups. One group had their uterus, and the other group had didn't have the uterus because they had a hysterectomy. The women who had their uterus were given progestin. So um, progestin is a um, uh, like a synthetic chemical form of progesterone. Our natural hormone is progesterone. Our natural hormone is progesterone. And progestin is similar to, but not exactly like progesterone. So there is the potential to have different effects on the body than progesterone, which is our natural hormone. The other thing was that these, these women were given, um, First of all, they were given estrogen through the month and were given progesterone the same dose through the month. And if you look at um, hormone levels in women who are with healthy hormonal balance, the hormone levels fluctuate. They go up and they go down. So um, this was not mimicking. This was not being similar to what women's um, cycles normally are before and after and in menopause, right? Before and after menopause. So there are already some kind of differences in the hormones, the, like the hormones that they were creating within these women's bodies. So that was a very important point, okay? And what they found was that in the, in the group of the women who had their uterus and got the estrogen and progesterone, um, especially in the women who were over 65 years old, and especially in the people who had previous problems with um, health, their health, they got that increased risk of breast cancer. They got an increased risk of um, stroke, clots in the lungs, which is called pulmonary embolism, dementia in women who are over 65 years old, gallbladder disease, and urinary incontinence where you're peeing yourself. Okay, so you're accidentally peeing yourself. All right. Um, what they found that was interesting was that the safest combination within that study is the woman who got estrogen alone so by definition they didn't have their uterus and they were between the ages of 50 and 59 in those women that very particular group they did not have an increase of risk of breast cancer however they still had an increased risk of things like clots compared to not getting hormone therapy which we call the placebo it's like a sugar pill it doesn't have hormones in it and what was interesting was that these women were on average between, I think it was like up to between three and 13 years or so of treatment. Okay. They were on, some women were over on the treatment for over 10 years. And when they stopped the treatment and followed up for about 13 years after the treatment was stopped, the risk of these, all of these things went down, except for the risk of breast cancer in those women who were at higher risk. So estrogen and progesterone, that group plus estrogen only over the age of 59. So those women continue to have a higher risk of breast cancer, which is not good. So that's where the controversy was. 
Also, the controversy was that there was an improvement in bone health with a decreased risk of hip fractures. You know your bones are weak when you fall down from standing and you break your hip. That by definition means your bones are brittle. And the hormone replacement therapy did help uh, maintain bone health in the woman. They had a decreased risk of diabetes and decreased hot flashes. Okay, decreased hot flashes. All right. So we're entering into this um, very, you know, confusing state now where it's like, well, there were improvements, but there were really bad side effects. So where's like, is there a middle ground? Um, what if like we gave it to a very healthy woman who was entering menopause and, you know, and it's this critical period of when you're just going through, you know, transitioning from um, for, uh, menstruating into menopause and those first few years when the hormones are going from this to that roller coaster ride of hormones and then settle out after a period of time, maybe that critical period, that's the time to institute therapy for improved outcomes. And that critical period of like your hormones just going crazy, that's when women tend to experience the worst, um, you know, symptoms like the, you know, fluctuations in their sexual function, in their mood, in the hot flashes, um, sleep starts becoming disrupted. So um, that was one question. What if we ch chose a different kind of group of women at a different time frame in their lives? And what if we gave them hormones that were more um, reflective of um, natural hormone cycle? All right. So that was uh, really interesting. So the study that was that I so that explains the controversy. And then the mainstream opinion of doctors was like, okay, well. How about we, you know, keep it in that younger population? Um, we do the estrogen. We're like, we're not sure about the progestin. Um, you know, if we keep it under that five-year time frame, and maybe that's safer. So doctors were not, you know, not prescribing it. However, they are being very cautious about it, rightly so, um, and really looking out for more research to inform them. And this research that I found. There's been lots of researches, research studies published since then. This one caught my attention. This one was a study done um, by the Kronos Longev uh, Longevity uh, Research Center, okay? And they are located in Phoenix, Arizona. They're a nonprofit um, organization, private organization. And what they did was that they, um, they created the study called the KEEP study, the um, Kronos Early Estrogen Preve uh, Prevention Study. Prevention study. Early estrogen prevention study. So, what if we take estrogen and give it to people earlier, earlier in the menopause phase? And you'll see that they did different things in the studies that were very fascinating. So, what they did was they took nine they took scientists, basic and clinical scientists from nine academic research centers across the U.S. plus a cl another collaborating site. And some of those scientists had been on the uh, Women's Health Initiative study, which I found. That was like a very strong point on the study. I really like that. Also, the study was very well written and the methodology was very, very strong. They did the very best quality of study you can have, which is a randomized, double blind, placebo controlled study, which means that the women who were in the study were not told what they were given, if they were given uh, hormone or not given hormone. And the scientists assessing these women were not told what these women were given, so they could not introduce any bias. Like, oh, I think hormone therapy is good, so I'm going to look for the good things when I assess these women for how they're doing on this treatment. So it was a very good quality study. 
Um, and what they did is they took um, a woman, a select group of women that were um, no pre-existing problems with their heart or the blood vessels, so no history of stroke, uh, heart attacks, uh, no problems with their, um, you know, cholesterol or blood lipids, like their blood tests with respect to their cholesterol and their fats. Um, they also took women who they did not take women who were um, by definition obese, a body mass index more than 35. They, um, ne- if they had hypertension and needed to be treated, um, and they did not take untreated hypertension. If they had a problem with their cholesterol or if they were on statins, like a medication for cholesterol, if they had diabetes, if they were smoking cigarettes, more than 10 cigarettes a day, or they had a history of cancer or major chronic disease. So what I want you to understand is that these results that I'm going to share with you apply to you if you're a woman who is um, going to eventually experience, experience menopause or are experiencing menopause or you're within two years of having had menopause. That was their other criteria was that these women had to be within um, three, three years of their last period, two years of um, the definition of menopause. So um, within two years of them having no periods anymore. So it was a very, very like narrow critical window time frame. And this, so if you're interested, if this kind of therapy would be um, safe and effective for you, you have to be in a state of health that is a, that has all of those check marks. Like you can't have any problems with your cholesterol or your um, lipids, like your blood, your fat measurements as per your doctor's visits. Um, if you have high blood pressure, it has to be treated, like has to be within control, treated either by medications or lifestyle. So it just has to be within a good blood pressure range, which you can talk to your doctor about. You can't have a history of cancer, like having had cancer yourself. Or any major chronic diseases such as, um, a, you know, big autoimmune condition uh, or diabetes, those sorts of things. So you want to talk to your doctor about that and you want to um, maybe discuss with them the KEEPS, K-E-E-P-S study um, to see if you would be someone who would fit that criteria. Why, if you have all those other things that they're excluding, why that puts you potentially at an increased risk for um, doing worse on the therapy than doing better, like having the blood clots, having the heart attacks and the strokes, having the clots in your lungs, having the um, breast cancer. So that is very, very important. And and if and the thing is, all of those things, by the way, other than the history of cancer, um, you know, you can improve your your cholesterol, you can stop smoking, um, you can improve um, your blood pressure, right? So a lot of these things are reversible if you want to be a candidate for hormone therapy in this in the way that the study study the study um, talks about it. So what I found very very interesting is that they also took so they took the window and narrowed it down to to within the two years after being diagnosed as menopause, like no periods for one year. So you know a three year span of no of your last period all the way through, you know, so three years. So you have your last period, you're told you're in menopause. And then for two years after that, that's the critical period window that they determined. The other thing is that they looked at, um, they changed a little the hormones around in a way that I think is is relevant. So they took the mare's urine, the conjugated estra, um, equine estrogen, CEE, or the mare's urine uh, estrogen, and they went from 6.25 to 0.45 milligrams per day. They said that they did the research and they're like, that's what, what the minimum lowest dose at which we still think there'll be some effect. 
So it was a lower dose versus a 0.625 milligrams per day. Then they did something super interesting where they actually took another group and they gave these women the transdermal 17 beta estradiol. And that is more of what would be considered a bioidentical hormone where that that estrogen is identical to our estrogen. And the 17 beta estradiol is a very powerful estrogen in the female body, in, in the human body. And we're speaking about women here. So it's a very powerful estrogen. And what they did is uh, they gave the, um, the mares estrogen by mouth, but they gave the bioidentical hormone by transdermal patch. So putting it on, putting it on the skin, a patch on the skin, and it gets absorbed through the skin. And they compared those two groups, which I found very fascinating because it was the first study that's done that in a randomized control trial fashion, looking at the outcomes that they looked at, which I'll be discussing with you. And then what they did is they took those two groups, so the women receiving the oral estrogen, the women receiving the transdermal patch, the patch bioidentical estrogen. And the oral estrogen is like the kind of estrogen that you find in like birth control pit, um, uh, pills, in the IUD, like the Mirena. And in the conventional, like the old-fashioned hormone therapy, the very first kind of hormone therapy, the bioidentical hormones, like 17-beta estradiol, that's like a bit of like the new kid on the block. And it's gaining a lot of popularity because it is more identical to our estrogen. So it is, it merits that um, interest, wouldn't you think? I, I think so. Would you agree? So they took those two groups and they put those two groups of women on progesterone so they didn't put them on progestin which is as um, a synthetic um not identical to our progesterone hormone instead they put them on a natural um bioidentical so to speak the same as our hormones progesterone so on a bioidentical progesterone and um they also they did something super fascinating where they pulsed it they didn't give it all the time. They gave it for the first 12 days of the, of the month, and then they stopped it. So it's more mimicking the natural fluctuations. And if you're listening to my voice and not watching me live, I'm moving my hand up and down like a wave because the hormones fluctuate like waves. You know, the, the, you have more progesterone at the beginning of the month, and then the progesterone goes down and up and down, right? So they chose at the beginning of the month just to have a date. Obviously, when you're menstruating, your progesterone will go up after you ovulate and then go down as you menstruate. So there is that. However, in menopause, you don't have those um, kind of timeframes anymore. So they chose the beginning of the month, 12 days on, um, and then the rest of the month off. And they did um, 12, uh, 200 milligrams per day when they were on the progesterone. I have an amazing question here from Ursula. Thank you so much. She says, I understand that this latest study narrowed the window for intake of subjects studied and also improved other selection criteria. I'm wondering if they also studied if there's a recommended maximum number of years to be on this bioidentical hormone replacement therapy treatment. That is an amazing question. I'm absolutely going to answer your question towards the end. I'm going to keep that in my mind as well to make sure that I, I don't forget to answer that question. That um, and that is like a very, very, very good question, Ursula. I will address that. Wonderful. Keep them coming. That's great. So, um, and actually, I can even answer now. So, what they did is they put these women on for four years. So, the duration of the study was four years. 
which is really, really like, um, which is good and not great because, you know, women, some women might want to be on hormone replacement therapy for longer. And um, so we don't have any answers as to what happens longer yet. However, what they have done is they've taken these women and now they're in these follow-up studies and the results of these studies are still being investigated, such as the impact of having been on this hormone replacement therapy on the brain, like the brain size, the health of the brain based on MRI and the brain functioning and uh, things like Alzheimer, risk of Alzheimer's. And if they pass away doing autopsies and looking at like, do they develop the signs of Alzheimer's, like the proteins, like the tau and amyloid proteins in the brain. So the, what I'm talking about here rely, um, relates to four years of hormone therapy, as I described it. And they compared the two groups. Um, remember, both are on progesterone, progesterone, natural progesterone that's being cycled through the month. Part of that, uh, one group is on the oral um, non-bioidentical estrogen from pregnant from mare's urine, and the other group is on the bioidentical um, patch estrogen. And what they've, uh, they also, a few things to, to, to note is that about 80% of the participants were um, white, non-Hispanic, as they say. They were aged 42 to 58 years old, and they were within six months to three years of natural menopause. So that's important to note as well. Now, here's the outcomes. What they, what they really wanted to look at, um, their primary outcome was um, when you start to get a disease of the blood, um, like the blood vessels, like the heart and the blood vessels, the thickness of the blood vessel, like the blood vessel is a tube, right, that carries blood through it. And the thickness of the lining of the blood vessels, like the material that makes up that tube, as you get thicker and have more problems with cardiovascular health, that thickness, that the thickness gets thicker. It gets a thicker thickness, <laughs> a thicker lining. And that usually that's known to be a risk factor for things like clotting and strokes and clotting leads to clotting in the heart leads to heart attack. Clotting in the lungs leads to problems with your breathing clotting in the brain leads to stroke. So they were looking at that and they were using imaging to look at that, like very sophisticated imaging techniques. Also, as you start to develop um, problems with your health, um, people will start to, you, you will start to have calcium, the mineral calcium depositing in that lining and that creates blockages, right? Like it's the blood flow gets disturbed and the health of the lining of the blood vessels goes down. Um, and then they also looked at things like um, blood pressure, um, actual heart attack and strokes and um, clots, obviously, they looked at cancer and they looked at um, uh, the improvement of um, symptoms of menopause, like the hot flashes, the sleep, sexual function, mood, um, how your brain is functioning, which is called cognition. They looked at a whole bunch of stuff. And this is what's very, very interesting. Because if this type of therapy was meant was problematic in the same way that the um, Women's Health Initiative therapy was problematic, you would have expected to see that the thickening of the artery walls that would have gone thicker and would have had more calcium in it. And what they found was that this did not happen. The, the being on either the oral conventional ther hormone therapy or the um, transdermal patch bioidentical therapy with the cyclical progesterone, both of them, did not increase the risk of the arteries getting thicker. They actually, in some cases, improved the calcium score, so less calcium in the blood vessels. And there was no like um, worse, worse side effects that were worse between 
those two groups compared to the no treatment group, the placebo group. So there was no, uh, within those four years of that study, no adverse events were detected. Now, the thing is, can something like cancer, it might prop up quite a bit after that. And remember that in the Women's Health Initiative, there was like a 13-year follow-up window, you know, on the people that they were able to follow up. They did, they did stop the study early because they were finding a lot of problems. So maybe one of the criticisms of this study is it would be nice to have those long-term, that long-term data. However, the reality is that they published what they that what they could up until now, and then they're going to continue to publish in the future. So we're going to stay tuned, basically. So, you know, give us what you know right now and we'll stay tuned for more information. That's where we're at. But in the short term, what I found in those four years, what I found extremely interesting is that both um, um, the oral um, conventional therapy plus the um, transdermal bioidentical therapy in terms of estrogen, when both with a progesterone, both of those groups had improvement in their hot flashes, improvement in their night sweats, like significant improvement, lots of improvement in their sleep. And they, they measured lots of things about sleep. They measured how long does it take to fall asleep? What is the quality of your sleep? How long do you sleep for? How many sleep disturbances that you have? It looks like the transdermal bioidentical hormone option had less sleep disturbances. So that was interesting to note. In both groups, their bone health was maintained and they used, um, I think it was the CT scans to look at the thickness and density of the bone. And they found that these women did not lose the thickness and density of the bone to the same degree that women who were not on hormone replacement therapy did. So it protected their bone health. And um, uh, these women did not experience breast pain, which a lot of women in the Women's Health Initiative study did, probably because of the um, maybe the amount of um, estrogen and progesterone they were receiving and the kind of estrogen and progesterone they were receiving. Who knows? Uh, it's hard to say. However, they, these women in this study did not experience breast pain, which is usually a sign of hormonal imbalance, and the hormonal imbalance would have been from the hormones being given in the studies. So they did not experience hormonal imbalance that would lead to breast pain in this particular study in the way that it was done. And then there were some things that were better by taking the oral conventional hormone estrogen, and there were some things that were better with doing the, the patch, um, uh, bioidentical hormone. And by the way, the bioidentical hormone can be given by patch, it can be given by mouth, but this one was with the patch. And I already mentioned that the bioidentical patch hormone, they had improvement in sexual function. And then that was specifically the, the physical ability to engage in intimacy Desire was better, arousal was better, and sexual satisfaction was better. So maybe this is something that you could consider is that if what your if your health goal is to really up your your sexual functioning domain, maybe you would choose to have the transdermal bioidentical 17 beta estrogen, but the bioidentical estrogen versus the conventional mares urine estrogen. They also had a trend towards better insulin resistance. So insulin resistance is like the, um, you know, the writing on the wall for getting things like diabetes, uh, problems with your heart, your brain, you know, heart attack strokes and uh, all dementia and Alzheimer's, particularly in women. So having better insulin resistance is a good thing, like a really, really good thing. The pregnant mares urine group, the conventional estrogen group, they had um, better calcium, like less calcium in their arteries. 
um, versus the placebo and the um, bioidentical hormone group. Um, they had better, um, like uh, less depression and anxiety. Um, and on their blood work, they had a trend towards better um, cholesterol and like the fat on your blood work, right? So um, all of those, like all the regular blood work that your uh, doctor does to tell you how your fats are doing, like the cholesterol, those were all, those were better in that group. They were also good on the transdermal um, bioidentical hormone therapy, but they were slightly better in that oral um, conventional hormone therapy group. So you can see that as a whole, giving um, estrogen at its lowest dose orally or transdermal bioidentical estrogen, plus the pulsing natural progesterone, not the synthetic progestin given every single day of the month, that unique um, way of um, doing uh, this hormone uh, replacement therapy um, in those four years did not result in any negative outcomes that they could detect and everything got better and some things got better in one group more than the other. So that was really, really amazing to me. And if you have any questions, please let me know. One kind of interesting little tidbit, because some people are like, well, am I on the right dose for me? Um, you know, of estrogen, they were, they took a group of these women and they measured their blood levels of estrogen. And they found that it, when they looked at women who had a lot of improvement in their hot flashes. Now, last week I did a, I did a, um, an episode just on hot flashes. Um, and you can find that in my hot flash playlist if you're on YouTube. But I did that on hot flashes. And what was interesting in this study is that they took some women within the group, their hot flashes got significantly better. And some women in the, on the estrogen therapy did not. And they were like, well, what's the difference between these two groups? What they found was that the woman whose hot flashes went away, their blood level of estrogen was 44 picograms per milliliter, whereas the women who were on the estrogen therapy, but their blood levels were between 9 to 11 picograms per milliliter. So lower levels of estrogen, like lower amount of estrogen in the blood, they were the ones who tended to continue to have problems with hot flashes. And what's really interesting is that they started to um, explore what was the genetic, what was the reason for that? And some of the reason for these kind of differences between one person and another person on the same therapy, and yet they have different outcomes, is the genetics. And they did do on a small group of these women some genetic testing, and they found that depending on your genetics, you're either going to be like, you know, you're going to be a great absorber of estrogen or not. You're going to break down estrogen quickly or not. And the thing is, when you take estradiol, which is that bioidentical um, estrogen. So the estrogen in our body is 17-beta-estradiol and it breaks down into estrone and estriol, it's breakdown products. Those two breakdown products are not as powerful in the body as the estradiol. So if you're genetically um, predisposed to breaking that down faster, for example, um, you're going to have less of an effect and you may need a higher dose in order to get a better effect. And then you need to do studies to look at, well, if, if in these women who are genetically predisposed, who need a higher dose, is it still safe to give them a higher dose? So you can see that this research study definitely answered a lot of questions for me. And um, it also opened up new questions like what, um, what Ursula is saying. Can I provide the link to the study? I will. Yes, I will. And I'll do that actually um, in the comments section. After this, this is done, I'll go back to the various areas that this goes, and I will put in the link to the study. So um, actually, in uh, yeah, the PubMed ID, so 
one way, if you're listening to this on like a podcast in the future, for example, the PubMed ID is um, you can want to write your pencil and your and have a pen and paper here, and it's three one four five three nine seven three. So if you go to PubMed, which is an online kind of research, um, it's where I go to do all of my research. It's where uh, most of the research in the world is is stored. And it's all searchable. It's actually incredible. And as a researcher, this was like my, the tool and all researchers use this tool with no exception. And if you go into the search bar and you type in PMID colon 31453973, it should pop up or you can um, Google the KEEP study or you can put in Kronos, K-R-O-N-O-S, Early Estrogen Prevention Study. And it should pop up um, for you. And I'll put it in the link as well. Great, great question. So then what is the future that, you know, what what would I want to see in the future? Ideally, I would want to know, for example, is there any way to also cycle estrogen? There have been some studies where they do cyclical estrogen, which is three weeks on and one week off. And um, those studies have shown that that cyclical estrogen doesn't have less of an effect, that it has equal effect to being on estrogen all the time. And uh, for me, like lowest dose would also mean, you know, getting it as close to the what the female body does. And the female body does have a cyclical pattern to estrogen as well. Um, another thing is, I would love to know more about this genetic based kind of treatment, because I think that that's probably the future is to really figure that out. I would also want to know, um, is, is the transdermal 17 beta estradiol patch the best or There's also some studies done on the oral, um, and I'd be curious about that. However, I'm not going to sit around. I mean, I'm probably going to go through menopause before these studies are done, right? And some of you are are in that critical period. If you're outside of that critical period, um, you know, if I was outside of that critical period in menopause, I would do everything I could to avoid being on hormone replacement therapy. And here's the caveat, ladies, is that there are lots of things you can do, and I will be discussing this in future episodes, which is um, there's a lot of, um, you know, a lot of things from nature that interact with their human bodies to support our human functions. I mean, 60 to 70% of our drugs are derived from things in nature like plants. And so there are um, the, no herbs like maca and black cohosh and vitex or chaseberry that have Equally high quality trials like double blind randomized controlled trials showing that they do improve the symptoms of menopause. So what would I do? Personally, I would, as soon as I start to experience any signs of menopause, I would start engaging in these um, holistic um, supportive um, practices like trying out these kinds of supplements because now they're, you know, in supplement form. So you can really be aware of the dose and I'll be talking about that in future, um, you know, future episodes. I would also support my hormones as they are with really good blood sugar response, like eating for my blood sugar balance, moderating my stress response, because that really, really negatively impacts your hormones. And it's probably one of the reasons that and the blood sugar response are probably two of the main reasons women are going into early menopause these days, because it's just too much for the hormones to take, you know, the natural transition plus all of these stressors. Obviously, there's the gut health impact on hormones, which is huge. And the toxins tolerance because hormones are the hormone producing glands like the ovaries and the adrenal glands and the thyroid are very, very sensitive to toxins. So 
I'd be looking at all of those things, supporting all of those things, you know, trying out some herbal therapies. And if I found that um, I was starting to feel like that menopausal um, hormonal roller coaster ride was starting to take me for a ride, you know, I got on the roller coaster. Um, I would uh, probably consider um, doing a, uh, and, and personally, this is just my bias. I, I like bioidentical things. I like things that are like my body more than things that are not to try to influence my body. So I would do a 17 beta estradiol um, at the very lowest dose. I would probably, um, you know, be interested in cycling it three weeks on and, and one week off just because of the studies that show that they are pretty equivalent. So that would give me like an extra low, lower kind of safety dose in my mind. Um, and I would definitely use the natural um, micronized progesterone rather than the synthetic progestin. And I would also cycle it. However, I pay really close attention because some people are very, very sensitive to progesterone in that they put on weight with progesterone. So if I found that, um, you know, maybe I would start on the estrogen and see how I felt. And then I would add in the progesterone and see how I felt that. And if I started to notice like problems with weight gain or, you know, puffiness or anything like that, I would stop it and reassess the situation. So this is the thing you have to, you know, you have to reassess the situation for yourself as you're on the therapy, like day by day almost to really get a sense for um, how is this affecting me? And is it going well with my genetics? And if by that time there was some kind of genetic profiling that could be done that could guide me, in terms of like, you know, what I should do and what I shouldn't do, I would definitely take advantage of that. Um, and so I hope that answers and I wouldn't stay on it for longer than four years at this point in time, because the safety data for that simply isn't available. And for sure, what the Women's Health Initiative showed us is that, um, you know, the risks tend to increase after, over, especially over five years of being on hormone replacement therapy. And the hope is that this is not um, a lifelong thing that you're on necessarily, although some women are interested in that. However, there's absolutely nothing to support the safety of that yet, um, maybe in the future. But what the purpose of this is that you go from having your stable kind of hormones before in, in your menstruating years, and then you, you go through those wild fluctuations of hormones during your perimenopause going into your early menopause years, and the hormone th replacement therapy or the uh, herbal therapy, whatever it is that you choose, personally, I would start with herbal and see what it, if I got the benefits I want from that. And then if not, then I would consider the hormone replacement therapy as I just discussed. And then when it's like a bridge to get over to that phase in the later years of menopause where your hormones do stabilize, they do stabilize at a slightly lower, at a lower level. However, your body is still capable of making estrogen, making progesterone, making testosterone. So long as the, your whole body health is addressed, obviously. So the underlying foundation for all of this and the understanding for all of this is that whole body health is so key to maintain during all of your phases of life because that's the foundation upon which you're working. If you have a poor foundation, then your health is going to crumble faster, easier, and harder. And then you're going to be left with a situation where maybe you don't have the option of trying the herbal therapy. You really do need the hormone replacement therapy. And then you're getting into like, you know, you are getting into some risks with that. Um, however, this KEEPS study really highlighted that there are some, you know, tweaks that can be done that do provide um, benefits in really important, I mean, sexual functions, sleep, mood. Your, you know, your um, how irritable you are, that kind of stuff. Like those things are important. Hot flashes, those things can be life changing. The quality of life can really suffer with those things, 
And to know that there is an option that has been shown to be safer, at least within that four-year time frame, than what was studied in the Women's Health Initiative is very reassuring. And again, we are grateful for the Women's Health Initiative. They, they are the giant upon which we stand, the shoulders upon which we stand. And that study needed to be done in order for this and the other studies like this to be conducted. Without that initial study, there is no way that these other studies could have been done. So we are grateful for those researchers. We are grateful for that study. And we are grateful for the researchers that keep going in this field. It is a very tough field because there's so many variables. And the thing is, you have to remember is that they studied a huge group of women. They did not study you, your uniqueness, your unique womanhood, your unique genetics, your unique health status, your unique whole body health at this time. So you really have to be able to use um, a level of um, body wisdom where you tune into your body and whatever you decide to try, whether it's the herbal th supplements or the hormone therapy, don't just take them and kind of like, you know, let everything go and just rest on that. You do have to be attentive. Now, don't look for problems because problems will find you. However, don't ignore problems if they start to creep up. There's a difference between that. I hope you can see that, the difference between looking for problems versus enjoying life and focusing on health and plentiness and abundance and not ignoring problems when, if and when they show up. So I hope that this is helpful to really hone in on Ursula's questions. Did they study if there's a recommended maximum number of years? No, they did not look at the maximum number of years. That is a very difficult study to do. It would require long-term outcomes. And the good news is it seems like they are looking into this. Um, and we will keep posted and keep, you know, keep our eyes peeled for these longer term studies that look at the longer term um, events. However, interestingly, I think that they only did four years of treatment and the long term studies are after finishing those four years. So there isn't going to be a study from this group, as far as I know, for a longer duration. And I think they chose the four years because they that five year mark is a tricky mark. That's when a lot of the risks started to go up in the Women's Health Initiative study. So I think they really wanted to play it safe, which is fair. You know, they wanted to show what is the safest, absolute safest way to do this that we can find. And then, you know, as you get further away from that safety zone, then you have to start thinking about your risk benefit ratio. Is it worth the risk to you? Mm. So I hope this makes sense. And let me know if you have any questions that come up after the fact or even during. And I thank you so much for joining me and staying present for this presentation. It was definitely a longer one. However, I felt it necessary to really dive into this because it's so controversial. I really didn't want to leave um, some things unanswered in, um, especially since some, maybe some doctors, you know, feel free to refer your doctors to listen to this or watch this. Um, if they have any questions, please reach out. I'm happy to share all of the um, re references and, and things that I dived into, um, you know, uh, in order to inform this conversation. And if you like this, please subscribe and share, share the wisdom, sharing is caring. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day, evening or night. Thank you for joining. And I look forward to seeing you at the next Thrive Thursday episode next week. Bye. Thank 
you for taking the time to listen to this podcast, Wild Wisdom with Dr. Patricia Mills. If you like this podcast, please take the time to like and subscribe. And please feel free to leave any comments and look below for the contact information if you want to connect with me directly. Thank you. And I hope you have a wonderful day, evening or night. Hi, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Just a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only. This podcast is not a substitute for a professional care doctor or other qualified medical professional. This podcast is provided with the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for help in your journey, it is important that you seek out a qualified health practitioner. If you would like to work with Dr. Patricia for her expert health transformation guidance, please email her at info at drpatriciamills.com to book a discovery call. You can also find Dr. Patricia on Instagram at Dr. Patricia Mills and Facebook at Wild Wisdom for Women with Dr. Patricia Mills, MD. For access to all of Dr. Patricia's educational videos and more amazing perks, consider becoming a Patreon member. Links are in the description of this episode. It is important to have an expert in your corner that can help you make the changes you crave, especially when it comes to your health. 